Welcome to the Pharma Podcast, conversations with industry experts and business leaders about important and current topics in Canadian pharma, biotech, and medtech. I'm your host, Sam Tarantino. Welcome to Season 2. It seems surreal that we are still in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm still working from home. I've adjusted, but I can't wait to get back to normal. I, I miss my colleagues. I miss the energy and creativity that only comes from person-to-person collaboration. We all hope that a vaccine will get us there sooner. Several COVID-19 vaccine candidates are in development and launch plans are being drafted. Progress is unfolding at an unprecedented pace. More than 200 potential vaccines are in development and more than 40 have entered human clinical trials. At least one application has been submitted to Health Canada under the interim order. Canada currently has access to a guaranteed 174 million doses of potential COVID-19 vaccine. This represents over $1 billion in advanced purchase agreements. In addition, Canada has pledged to the World Health Organization's Advanced Market Commitment, the AMC, $220 million to purchase 15 million vaccine doses from the COVAX facility, plus $220 million uh, to purchase doses for low and middle income countries. Securing regulatory approval and supply agreements is a great first step, but how will the vaccine be rolled out safely and equitably? To help us understand how industry in Canada is preparing for the rollout, I've invited Dan Chiasson, President and CEO of the Canadian Association for Pharmacy Distribution Management. Welcome again to the Pharma Podcast, Dan. Well, thank you for having me return, Sam. <laughs> Last season, we had you on the Pharma Podcast. We discussed uh, Canada's drug supply uh, during the pandemic. We touched on PPEs. Uh, we're now um, moving forward. We're at the tail end, hopefully, and we're now talking therapeutics and potential treatments of vaccine. Um, granted, at this time, there are, um, there are many unknowns. Um, what are some of the, the challenges you foresee? Yeah, so um, you're right, Sam. You know, from a supply per- chain perspective, uh, COVID-19 has thrown us a number of curveballs. Uh, so early on in the pandemic, uh, you know, PPE uh, was uh, was front and center in, in conversations uh, at multiple levels. Uh, we then proceeded into uh, ensuring that the drug supply chain uh, had some stability, and there were some actions taken in order to uh, to neutralize the pent-up demand and to ensure that supply was in fact flowing uh, internationally. And now we're likely dealing with the most complex of the supply chain challenges related to COVID-19, which is vaccine, COVID-19 vaccine distribution. And uh, I can think of of four things that that make this complex, Mm -hmm. difficult. Uh, um, First is is the volume that uh, is anticipated. To give you scale on this one, um, many of the uh, COVID-19 vaccines will require double dosing. So given Canada's population, we're probably looking at 75 million doses having to be uh, administered uh, in a relatively short period of time. That compares to 10 to 15 million million doses 
of the influenza uh, or flu vaccine that, that gets administered every every fall winter season. So it, it's multiples of the flu vaccine efforts, uh, and uh, you know the uh, and, and again it's a time crunch as well because we're trying to we, we would do the COVID nineteen vaccine distribution at scale, uh, presumably over you know weeks and months, uh, but not years. Uh, so that's challenge number one is volume. Challenge number two, uh, which which is quite a bit different than than other vaccines, is the temperature and stability of the vaccine. While we don't know all the details uh, of the handling requirements for these vaccines, Sam, uh, what we know is some of the early candidates uh, require either frozen or ultra-frozen handling capabilities. And it's the frozen and ultra-frozen uh, that uh, you know, will, will require a lot of planning, uh, a lot of building out capacity that uh, is likely not already present in our existing supply chain. Um, and, and so that's, you know, that, that's for me, complex, uh, complexity number two. Uh, number three is that uh, we're really thinking of multiple vaccines coming onto the market at different times, requiring multiple doses and without interchangeability. So how will the supply chain actors, whether it's distributors, whether it's administrators, uh, those that will be administering the vaccines, whether it's doctors, uh, public health uh, staff, uh, hospitals or, or pharmacies, uh, how will they be managing the multiple SKUs with multiple doses that become available at different times? And and the last one is, and we don't know this yet, but I anticipate that the value, the dollar value of the vaccines will make this uh, uh, a, uh, a critical piece of spend by the government. And so we need to be very sensitive to the risk of waste so that we are not wasting uh, precious resources, uh, either budgetary or, or human resources in the distribution of the vaccine. So those would be you know, wh where my thinking is at early on in terms of understanding what we're going to be dealing with in the, uh, in the next few months. When, uh, when do you expect the vaccine to roll out and, and how long do you think it, it will take? So the, uh, there's no clear answer on that one, and I think if uh, if somebody had the answer to that, uh, they would be on, uh, on on talk shows and on government agendas uh, uh, already. But uh, no, the best the best information I have at this point is that uh, you know, vaccines may become available early in 2021, uh, could be as early as Q1 or or maybe Q2. Uh, but even at that point, uh, my suspicion is that it will not be widely available. There will be some vaccines that become available that trickle in through the, uh, the global supply chain and Canada will have its share uh, of the early uh, inventory. But I don't think we're going to actually see the 75 million required doses available uh, er early on. So, um, so I, I, I would expect that uh, you know, uh, it's going to trickle in initially before it becomes uh, available at scale. Yeah, yeah. I don't imagine it'll be available at scale, uh, as you mentioned. Uh, um, so, who who should get the who should get the vaccine first? 
<laughs> well, uh, I think that's a, a question for the public health agencies. Uh, what we've heard thus far is uh, certainly the most vulnerable population uh, should be prioritized, uh, as would essential workers in the healthcare field uh, to make sure that uh, we can look after people uh, with uh, with the appropriate treatment. Um, so I think to me that makes sense uh, that uh, that population uh, would be uh, f- first in line. Um, but again, those are decisions that haven't been shared with us and that will be made, I'm sure, at the right level of public health throughout Canada. And what role should, should government play and, and what, uh, what role should industry play in the rollout? Well, I think that's going to be a highly, highly collaborative effort. Um, governments are, are taking the lead uh, around the world, and the Canadian government, uh, as you mentioned at the outset, has already made their pre-purchase commitments uh, to make sure that, that they're not left out uh, of the uh, the vaccine uh, supply when it becomes available. So, so governments. Well, first and foremost, the federal government and the Public Health Agency of Canada, uh, they've already appointed a COVID-19 vaccine task force uh, with a mandate to secure supply when it becomes available and also think through the uh, the deployment uh, imperatives that will um, uh, that will be uh, in front of us when the vaccines do become available. But as I mentioned previously, the complexity of this vaccine will require some pre-planning. And so, you know, uh, in terms of the roles of of public uh, institutions, uh, I think they need to be collaborating with uh, various supply chain stakeholders, including the private sector, to try to be planful in terms of the infrastructure that's going to be required to move vaccines uh, that uh, are otherwise in cold chain. And as you pointed out, uh, some are are refrigerated, but uh, in many cases, some of the early contenders are are frozen or ultra-frozen candidates. Mm -hmm. Special provisions for rural, indigenous and Inuit communities. Your thoughts? Well, uh, no, we we are uh, we are planning from the supply chain community to deploy uh, at scale uh, throughout Canada, and not only in urban centers. And so that would include, you uh, know, remote locations, the indigenous communities, First Nations uh, as well. So that's how we're thinking about it from a supply chain and from a deployment perspective. Uh, again, those are decisions that public health, I'm sure, will be instructing us in the uh, weeks and months ahead. You touched on this early in the um, in uh, in the conversation. The how does it differ? How do you think the COVID vaccine distribution will differ from the annual flu vaccine? It's um, with, with the uh, the many unknowns at this point. Uh, there are some pieces that we do know. Uh, the vaccine will, in all likelihood, come from outside of Canada. So we need to secure the supply. We need to bring it in to to the country. Uh, so the inbound transportation. If you think about this, uh, the manufacturers of the vaccines will be manufacturing for the global market, and will in in all likelihood, uh, no, want to move fairly quickly. So this will require, I suspect, uh, air cargo uh, more than maritime uh, transportation in order to accelerate the, uh, the the access to these vaccines. And as you think about the scale, uh, you know, we're talking about globally potentially over 10 billion vaccines. Um, 
and, and that would require tens of thousands of flights to move vaccines just to position it in the various countries. And so think about the inbound requirements, mm-hmm. the, the, the capacity for cold chain, frozen, ultra frozen storage at the airport level, uh, on board uh, aircrafts, um, and, and then and then trying to figure out okay when, once it lands in Canada, uh, where so it needs to clear customs, um, and, and we don't know uh, whether the manufacturers will be using uh, you know a direct shipment method where you know they may be shipping directly to the points of administration, mm-hmm. which would be quite burdensome if you want from in terms of clearing customs with multiple shipments, multiple smaller shipments, or will they think about this uh, in terms of cross-docking bulk shipments uh, in Canada or using warehousing facilities so that uh, well, distributors will then break uh, break down the packaging mm-hmm. uh, from bulk to uh, smaller sizes to get to uh, the points of administration. Those are unknown uh, at this point. But as you think about those, uh, those scenarios, at every point in time, you need capacity to handle it in frozen, ultra-frozen, or refrigerated state. Well, do you think Canada has the capacity? Um, storage capacity? Well, I, uh, ambient and refrigerated are less of a concern. Uh, frozen has some capacity. I don't know that we've got capacity to do 75 million doses at scale uh, in a short period of time. And we certainly do not have currently ultra frozen capacity. So, uh, to the best of our knowledge, uh, about a third uh, of the vaccines that are deemed to be uh, uh, available within the next year or so uh, require ultra-frozen capacity. And so, if you think about in Canada, 75 million uh, vaccines uh, to to do double dosing of of everybody in Canada, uh, if a third needs to be ultra-frozen, I can assure you that there is insufficient infrastructure and capacity today to do 25 million uh, doses of ultra-frozen vaccines. So that's something that we need to think about. Uh, you know, there may be some creative solutions uh, in terms of accessing uh, people who have uh, ultra-frozen capacity, but not necessarily for vaccines. Um, and you, know, you can think about the, the food industry or other industries that are using frozen uh, storage capacity and, and whether or not uh, Health Canada would, on a temporary and interim basis, use such infrastructure and capacities to help with the, the deployment of vaccines. I, I'm thinking out loud here. This is not something <laughs> that we've strategized around, but I think uh, this will require some as we mentioned previously, intense collaboration and, and some pretty innovative ideas. Oh, I love it. Yeah. What about packaging? I, I, I mean, can we produce enough potentially dry ice? Um, do we have access to sufficient, uh, you know, passive shippers? That's a lot of, I imagine it's going to be a lot of distribution. Do we have enough trucks? Well, this, <laughs> truck storage <laughs> capacity, packaging, uh, dry ice, vials. And, you know, these vaccines need to be in vials. Uh, 
uh, syringes, needles, the raw material to make the vaccines. Uh, so, so those are all important questions that are part of the, uh, the overarching supply chain uh, to manufacture vaccines and to distribute and deploy vaccines. And I'll give you, um, you know, uh, a, a bit of an insight. Uh, I'm led to believe that vials themselves may be in short supply in terms of doing this at scale. And manufacturers are thinking about putting multiple doses in a single vial, uh -huh. as opposed to a single dose for, per vial. There's not enough vials to go around. So you, you would need larger vials uh, that would contain multiple doses. And you say, well, okay, so from a manufacturing uh, perspective, that's probably uh, the easiest way to do it. But then you think through the implications of having multiple doses in a vial down the supply chain at the point of administration so if you need to, to scale down, go from ultra frozen to refrigerated state in order to administer the vaccines, but you're, you're, you're actually opening up uh, a natural frozen uh, package, which has maybe five, six, 10, 12 uh, doses in a vial, without vial then what is the stability? What's the shelf life? And in some cases, we're only talking days. And so you need to line up your, uh, your uh, immunization so that you can actually use the, the doses effectively without wasting uh, product. And so again, uh, you, know, you need to think through all the various steps in the supply chain. And that's why this makes it such a complex and, and difficult exercise. Let's talk about points of administration. Um, where should the vaccine best be delivered? Doctors' offices, pharmacies, hospitals, local health authorities, uh, schools? What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, to do it at scale, uh, the answer is likely all of the above. Um, you know, I, I, I do not foresee public health uh, infrastructure and resources uh, being able to do this at scale uh, quickly. And, and so I think we'll need to leverage other, uh, other parts uh, of, uh, of clinicians, whether they're doctors, pharmacies, uh, and, and various venues, and you mentioned schools as well. So, um, so we need to think through how to do this at scale and how to deliver uh, the vaccines at these points of administration. But we are thinking about this from a supply chain perspective as doing it at scale will require multiple points, hundreds and thousands of points of distribution and gearing up the distri distribution infrastructure to, um, to do so accordingly. Hey, Dan, thanks. Are there any final thoughts you want to share with the audience? Well, uh, there are many unknowns. Uh, and uh, no, this is a first uh, on a worldwide basis. Um, it's not necessarily that we're going to learn from other jurisdictions uh, ahead of us because we'll want to be deploying uh, COVID-19 vaccines at the same time as anybody else who has access to, uh, to vaccines. So given the, the, the many unknowns, given the complexity, uh, I think we can only reiterate that this will require a very high level of collaboration to execute well the deployment of COVID-19 vaccines throughout Canada. And because my spidey sense tells me that we do not have sufficient capacity, particularly on the uh, the ultra-frozen and frozen uh, 
side of, of this uh, deployment, that time is of the essence. Uh, even though the vaccines are not available yet, we need to start being planful uh, between the public sector, the private sector, all the various supply chain uh, actors need to be uh, you know, engaged in conversations. And I would uh, hope that the COVID-19 vaccine task force will be in short order reaching out to these various stakeholders um, very shortly, because as I mentioned, time is of the essence in order to be ready for potentially as early as Q1 uh, and Q2 of 2021. Dan, thank you once again. Thank you for your time and and thank you for your leadership during this uh, difficult time. If the audience uh, would like to connect with you, uh, how can they contact you? So uh, you can uh, reach out to uh, the Canadian Association for Pharmacy Distribution Management. Our website is uh, capdm.ca. And alternatively, you can also reach out to me uh, directly uh, through my email at daniel at capdm.ca. Awesome. Contact details for Dan are also available on our website at thepharmapodcast.ca. Thank you for listening. This podcast, along with the transcript of the show, can be found on our website at www.thepharmapodcast.ca. The Pharma Podcast is also available to listen for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thank you to our sound engineer, Errol Francis, and the town of Oakville. Please subscribe and follow me on LinkedIn to stay up to date on future podcasts. If you would like to be a guest on this podcast, or if there's a topic we should cover in future episodes, please connect with me via LinkedIn.